alive and active and able to do immeasurable things in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a long, it's a long passage, you know, but it's good to read out the Bible. We don't do it very much nowadays, do we? But it's really good to know. Um, I remember years ago meeting when I was in Cambridge, meeting a guy called Don Carson who's written a lot of commentaries on the New Testament. He was a pastor who became an academic. And um, and he, he, I guess, read this little thing this last week. I thought, this is so good. And I couldn't say it any better than he can. So I thought I'd read out what he said. It's really short. And he, he makes a contrast between this lady at the well and Nicodemus in the previous chapter that we've been looking at in previous weeks. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, may intend the contrast between the woman of this narrative and Nicodemus of chapter 3. He was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable only of folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. And both needed Jesus. And I thought that just sums up all that this is about. It doesn't matter who we are, what our background, our understanding or lack of understanding, our social status, we all need Jesus. And, and that's the truth, isn't it? And in our lives, even as we walk with Jesus, we need him more and more. Um, I love that chorus, um, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. There are some great truths in some of these old songs. And um, I just love that he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He's there all the way through. And we all need Jesus. So a little bit of background for this passage. And um, I think it's Graham next week will finish us off and fill in all the gaps that I've left, which will be many because there's so much to bring out of this. But um, you might remember in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel was called So I thought I'd been struck there for a minute there. Yes, Saul. After Saul came David, after David came. And what happened after that to the kingdom? It split between the north and the south. Rehoboam and Jeroboam were the two kings. The northern kingdom was more or less the ten northern tribes, and they had a capital at a place called Samaria. The southern kingdom was more or less Judah and Benjamin, those tribes, and they had their capital at Jerusalem. So north and south. The nation in the top was called Israel. The nation in the bottom was called Judah at that point. So there was a split, north-south. North-south divide. We have north-south divide here, don't we, you know, in the UK, apparently. And um, anyway, let's not get sidetracked into that. Shoot that rabbit. <clears throat> so we have this amazing thing where we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And what happened to the northern kingdom was, the uh, kingdom of Israel, was the Assyrians came in about 722, 721 BC, and they invaded the nation and they took captive most of the inhabitants and carted them off to Assyria, left some in the land. So some people were there, you know, the, the originals, and there were some that they were brought in from Assyria and others came from other places. So it was a bit of a melting pot, a little bit like London, a little bit like Stalham, isn't it? <laughs> um, I remember growing up in Norwich, and um, 
you know, when I grew up in Norwich in the 60s and the 70s, it was, it was much less of a melting pot than it is now. It's very different now than it was 15 plus years ago. And of course, if you compare that to London or Manchester or Birmingham, some of these big cities, they, they were very cosmopolitan areas. And northern, the northern kingdom of Israel became a little bit cosmopolitan, a bit muddled up. Later on in 586, because don't forget BC, the dates going the other way, go down before they go up. About 586, the Babylonians came into the southern kingdom and they took people captive from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was their big capital city. It was this place that God was living. And the temple was there. And they were distraught when they were carted off into captivity as well. And so there's this great beginning with Saul. Sometimes good, not so good. David, who was a pretty good guy on the whole, though he was a bit of a plonker at times. Then Solomon, who built the temple. And then the kingdom split north and south. The northern kingdom was taken into captivity 722. The bottom kingdom, the southern kingdom, in about 586. So this is kind of the background. And the northern kingdom of uh, Israel had its capital at a place called Samaria. And not far from Samaria, in that area, really, are people called Samaritans. So they are a people with a little bit of a Jewish background, but also a background from lots of other places. And the Jews and the Samaritans did not get on. You have to understand that for this passage to make any sense, really. So the Jews and the Samaritans were of a similar background, but they had particular differences. So the Jews worshipped God in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans worshipped God in Samaria on Mount Gerizim, and they had a temple there that they built. So there were two opposite places. There were two opposing sides. There were two peoples who had a shared background but didn't get on. I mean, not that anything that ever happened elsewhere in history, of course. But there was this amazing contrast between the two. And hence, this very strange thing that, that even though Jesus stopped in Samaria, so it's not surprising there were Samaritan people, that a Samaritan woman and he had a conversation. It was hugely significant. It's not just like somebody coming up to you at a dinner party who comes from a lower social economic class than you, and you saying, okay, let's have a conversation. Talk about, let's talk about work. That's pretty meaningless. <laughs> Let's talk about something insignificant. And it's not like that at all. It's actually somebody from a class of people so different that you would never have a conversation. Ever. Worse than that, at that time, there was a disparity between men and women. And now what we, we look back and we say that was terribly misogynistic, which it was. We get that today still, I think, in lots of ways. But the, the point was that there was a massive divide and never would the two people come together. And what Jesus is saying, actually, that I have come so that everybody can have life. And it behoves us, doesn't it? If we have Jesus followers, if we really are, that we don't let these barriers come between us. So the classic thing that we just asked the other day, what would you, what would you feel? How would you deal with um, transgender issues at Beacon? See, that's not such an academic, theoretical, possible question that would never ever come up in real life anymore, is it? No, it doesn't. It's a reality. You know, would we be like Jesus and accepting of people irrespective? Accepting of people and condoning what they do is not the same thing. But I would hope that uh, as a group of 
Jesus worshippers here, that we would be accepting whoever God brings along. Because that's another perspective, isn't it? Whoever God brings along. The, the um, interesting thing about heroes for Heather starting this up is we want to rejig things with the children's work here because of the children that God is bringing to us. That's a big difference, isn't it? See, it's a perspective change. It's not, okay, we now have an issue. How do we deal with the issue? No, it's saying, well, this is what God has brought. These are the folk, or this is the situation, or these are the circumstances. How do we deal with this in a way that honors God? And so it's quite an interesting thought. This is so up-to-date, isn't it, about these, these people who were so far removed from the Jews, and yet they live next door, and God wanted to bring them somehow together. So he had to go through Samaria, went to a Samaritan village. He saw a Samaritan woman, talked to her. They talked about their mountain, about where they worship God. And his answer in verse 23 is this. The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, often in Scripture, things are repeated that are really important. Have you ever read something and thought, I need to read that again, Didn't, wasn't really paying attention? Or I got to the end of the paragraph and realized that I was thinking about something completely different, not what I was reading, and you go back and read it again. Because some things are important. Spirit and truth. So if we want to worship a God who is spirit, we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and we need to have a relationship with the truth of Scripture. And they're the things I want to pick up on today. See, God is spirit. That means God is not tangible in the sense that this lectern is tangible. You can't see God. You can't knock it. You can't grab hold of God in that sense. God is spirit. God is something we cannot see. He's a person we cannot see. He's a person, however, that we can have an intimate relationship with. And this is the great irony of, of, of so many things. In the book of John, relationship with the Holy Spirit is, is so key. John chapter 14, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. You know, the Spirit and truth come together. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to teach us all things. Uh, John 15, I will send you the advocate or the comforter or the one who comes alongside the Spirit of truth. You know, if we are spirit people, if we say we are, you know, I don't like to use these labels, but we often label ourselves, we are charismatic, we are full of the spirit or whatever we want to say, spirit-filled people, and we do not have a relationship with the truth of God, but we're not spirit-filled, seems to me. But John chapter 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You know, the spirit points us to Jesus, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If our worship is not Jesus-centered, even as we make a big deal of who the Holy Spirit is and who God is, then we are not worshiping biblically. We want to be people who worship God in the way that he says. We get the Holy Spirit and we get the truth and God brings it all together. So we are people who are spirit and truth Christians. Churches often say we want to be word and spirit. And who would not say they want to be word and spirit? The reality is, though, that we need to make sure that we give proper time to the Word of God and proper time to the Spirit of God. And when we do that, we'll find there's not some great clash, but actually there's a coming together that makes perfect sense. And it concerns 
me, and Paige and I were talking about this recently, concerns me a lot that so often today, folk know their Bibles so little. You know, if you're a new Christian, it's going to take time. Don't be hard on yourself. Just do a little bit every day and you'll get to know God's Word. But one of the ways we test the spirits is through the Holy Spirit in us. But another way we test the spirits in our day and age is through saying, what does the Bible say about this? And if we don't know what the Bible says about it, how can we do that test? Simple as that. So we want to be people who are in the Word. And I want to encourage you, however it works for you, whether it's audio, whether it's uh, reading off a printed page or on your iPhone or on an iPad or whatever, or a combination of those things, listening to other people speak out the Word of God, get into the Bible. Because otherwise, you're never going to be able to test to see what is God and what isn't. So the Spirit and truth come together. God says, I am Spirit. True worshippers will worship me in spirit and in truth. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There was a course years ago. I don't remember whether someone I knew made it up, but um, that's what Jesus said. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. And we need to know, don't we? The truth helps us to know. We, there are lots of things in life we don't know. We don't know about... This particular virus, we don't know about all sorts of things happening in our world. We, we, we don't know what's going to happen the rest of today. So it's not like being fortune tellers, but it's knowing the word of God. It's knowing the truth that sets us free. It's knowing Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who actually enables us to deal with all the uncertainty that we face. And we live in, in uncertain times. So it's important that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth come together. So we want a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And for those of us in churches like Beacon, uh, is we, we love to focus on that and the fullness of the Spirit and the expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this is such a key aspect of us coming alive. At the same time, we want to be people who focus on the word that the Holy Spirit enabled us to have in our language today. And it's only then that we'll be rounded Christians who can stand up against everything that's thrown at us. So what about relationship with the truth of Scripture then? Relationship with the Holy Spirit? We love that, don't we? Relationship with the truth of Scripture? Uh, I'm not quite so sure how much that's really loved. Let's try and make it more loved. Ezra chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, it'd be great just to turn to that. Uh, book of Ezra, the Old Testament. And um, chapter 7, verse 8. Ezra was a scribe who was exiled. And uh, do you remember I said about the northern territory being taken off by the Assyrians and the southern territory being taken off by the Babylonians? So all of them kicked out of the land. And then God said, I want to bring the people back into the land, certainly the southern part of the land, to Jerusalem and the area around Jerusalem. And Ezra was one of those who went back as part of that return to the land. Ezra chapter 7, verse 8. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. For the glorious hand of his God was on him. That's a great um, 
compliment really to him, but also an acknowledgement that God was the one who enabled him to get there so fast. This was because, verse 10, chapter 7, verse 10, this was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. God had so put this as a burden on his heart that he was determined. And perhaps this reference here is to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But we have the whole of Scripture, and God wants us to determine. So this is more than just reading. You know, you might read the BBC News app trying to work out where things are happening and all that's on at the moment. You read it, but do you study it? Do you determine to look into it and say, God, would you make your Scripture come alive to me? See, God wants us to be people who do more than just a cursory reading of the surface. He wants us to be people who dig into Scripture so that we know that we know that we know that we've discovered the heart of God for us in what we're facing. And this is the word there that is translated determined in the New Living Translation. Verse 10, Ezra had determined. And it's more than just reading. It's seeking. He sought. He really went for it. He really went for it. He just didn't take it lightly. He said, I'm going to make this a big deal. This is a big deal to my father. It's a big deal to me. Isaiah 34, 16. Search the book of the Lord. See what he will do. Look into it. Delve a little bit. Dig a little bit. You know, we have in our modern English translations so much richness. And if you don't know ancient languages, don't let that put you off. There's so much in here that will change your life if you dig a little bit. You know, we, we can be so determined, can't we, about certain things, many of which are good. But we're not always determined about the best thing. And the best thing is to spend time with God in his word, the power of the Spirit, and seeing both of them become alive. You see, the thing is that, that if we have a big emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but we don't get into the word of God, which is the spoken word of God and the written word of God, it's as if we're not whole people. And when things come, and, and life is full of unexplained and, and unexpected issues. I mean, who would have thought three or four months ago we'd be facing what we're facing today? Who would have dreamed of it? But God knew. You know, that's a great thing, isn't it? And, and we can, if we are people who are not just full of the Spirit, but we're rooted and grounded on the Word of God, people who stand when these storms come. But otherwise, we could be knocked over. Or we could be, you know, sometimes it's a case people just know their Bibles back to front and inside out and can give you a verse for everything, but their, their life does not express anything that they read. You know, that's equally not the whole picture. God wants us to be, you know, this is a classic cake and eat it, you know. You can have your cake and eat it with this because God wants you to be a spirit-filled, Bible-based believer who really knows what they're about and goes for it and says, let God... You've put it in here. I've sought you. First Chronicles 28, David says to Solomon, So now, with God as our witness in the sight of Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey. You know, there's a seeking, the same word there, to seek all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land. Psalm 119, the wicked are far from rescue. They do not bother. They do not seek your decrees. Psalm 119.45, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I have sought, is the word underneath that. Psalm 119.94, I am yours, rescue me for I have worked hard at obeying your commandments. I have sought your commandments. I'm, I'm all in. I'm not just half-hearted. 
Let's seek the truth in the scriptures. You know, if we want to be God people, we've got to be people of the book. And um, and I'm talking about 66 books in here, from Genesis through to Revelation. And I want to encourage you that all 66 are there for a reason. And I know I'm a little bit of an Old Testament, you know, that's more my area. I know. But it is so true that very often Christians think that only anything really of any relevance started in Matthew. And the Old Testament is just kind of there to make the book a bit thicker. Well, but it isn't. It really isn't. Because the revelation of God starts in Genesis 1 verse 1. And if you miss out all of that, you're going to be a malnourished Christian. And God wants you to be full of health and bonhomie and, and just life and vitality so that you can stand when all these storms come. So I want to encourage you, be people of the book. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want to have a relationship with the truth of Scripture. The two will come together. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is perhaps a famous passage in the New Testament. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. You know that the importance for us when we have children as part of our church family, is that they are taught scripture as well as life lessons. And the whole point about what is happening right now in Heroes is that the children are understanding their identity as Jesus follows in God. It's the truth of scripture. I look back and um, to a lifetime in church and going to Sunday school at Oak Grove Chapel in Norwich um, a long time ago now. And the truths that I learned in Scripture when I was little have stayed with me all these years. Do not despise the teaching of God to children. It's so key. We learned memory verses then that I remember now. If you ask me now what I said before the service, that might be a different matter. <laughs> Anyway, um, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures in childhood. They've, been, they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. You see, the Scripture is so important. Um, I don't know if I'm emphasizing this enough. Bless you. All Scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Do you get this tiny feeling that maybe to God this is important? And if it's important to God's church, it's got to be important to you and to me. Because otherwise we're not really following him, are we? We're just following a cut-down version of God and a sanitized version of the Spirit with a tiny portion of Scripture that suits us. Well, how can we do that? We want the whole of the Word of God. We want the whole of the Godhead, don't we, to follow? And we want to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We want to know the truths of Scripture. We want to recite them. Page has talked many times over the years here about the importance of declaring truth, declaring the truths of Scripture. And that's why it's important that we're careful what we sing. Do you remember that old hymn that talks about just being a worm? Not the one 
nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'm going to eat worms. Not that one. No, I hear them. And, uh, and I, I know where the person's coming from, but the truth is that God does not look on us like that. See, we, we are people who have, have fallen away from God in our lives for whatever reason, and we've come back to him in salvation. And God looks at us, not as people who are completely perfect, never ever get it wrong, but people who have come through his son who is perfect and never got anything wrong. And he looks at us through the lens of Jesus. And that gives us a confidence to follow him and to say, if God has done all that for me, surely I can trust him in my life. If you're saying, and I'm saying, we're going to trust God with all eternity, which is pretty big, surely we can trust him in what's happening. I'm not for a moment diminishing the seriousness of what we may be facing in our country in the next two or three months. I'm not diminishing that at all. But either we believe this or we don't. And we can say to God, God, frankly, I'm a little bit apprehensive. You know, the psalmist was so honest with how he thought God had blown up. You know, and if that's in Scripture, we can do the same. Say, God, look, I'm a little bit worried about this in my house, my concern family. I'm concerned about X, Y, and Z. God, I just bring it to you. Would you take my fear and replace it with the peace of God that passes all understanding, the peace that is found in the person of Jesus? Because if our faith does not work when times are hard, is it any faith at all? Really? It isn't. I think it's just a, a, a pretend crutch that is there and we think, well, that's quite good and we're really strong. But when the rubber meets the road, where are we going to be when life gets hard? And the truth is, if we think about it, life has been hard for all of us at different times to different degrees. And we've seen God get us through that. The great message of Scripture is, look at what God has done in the past. He proves himself faithful. You can trust him for now, and you can trust him into the future. And that's the great truth that we have. So we worship in spirit and truth. We're full of the spirit of God. We are saturated in the word of God, and it comes out of us. So when we're squeezed, the Spirit of God and the Word of Truth come out. I have to be honest that at times, when I'm squeezed, other things come out that aren't really very much to do with the Spirit of God or the Word of Truth. So pray for me. But for all of the rest of you, when God squeezes you, we want the Spirit of God to be pushed out. We want the word of truth to come out. Truth that sets people free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Don't we need people to be free? Yeah. You know, it's, so we're facing adversity. We're facing uncertainty. There are natural concerns. Absolutely. This is the reality. But we frame that within the greater reality of following the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is able to sort out what we frame within him, and he can deal with it. And we're trusting God that whatever comes, that God would keep us from these, these things in these days of uncertainty. But even if he doesn't, we will not give way to fear. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to take our eyes off him. Even if he calls us home, we're going to put our eyes on him. And I don't say these things lightly. But it's got to be the truth of who we are, if we are God followers in any sense of the word. So scripture is inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong, corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. It'd be quite good not to miss out on it, wouldn't it, really, then? 
just saying. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And we want to do every good work, don't we? So we want to use all the equipment God has had for, had for us. Just imagine, think about this virus thing for a moment. There, there are various uh, items of clothing that medical staff um, use, don't they, um, when they're treating people, not just with this thing, but with other uh, infectious diseases as well, including these full, you know, biohazard-type suits and things that look very freaky, don't they, to us lay people. But, you know, if, if that's all available to a medical person in a situation where infection is a great danger, wouldn't it be unwise if they just said, I'm just going to hold my nose, I'm going to do it all. Now, I'm not a medical person, but I would have thought that's not very smart. If it's that infectious, you might need to do more than just hold your nose. Because we would never do anything about that ourselves, would we? Except if we don't go with what it says in the Word of God, and if we don't listen to the voice of the Spirit of God, we are doing exactly the same thing. We need to be wise in truth as well as wise in the world. And I think sometimes we can do one or the other, but God wants us to do both. So we're going to pray and continue praying that God would protect us from all that is harmful at this time and this particular season of our lives. And we will do all that we can that is sensible for us to do to make sure that any spread there is is as limited as possible. Two are very compatible. We're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we worship God in spirit that is completely compatible with worshiping God in truth. Sometimes that means, and uh, we've had this before here at Beacon, that we've never actually gotten to the, 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 the teaching section of the service. It only happened a few times over 11 years, but it has occasionally happened, and it's because God was doing something different, so we go with the flow of the Spirit. I think that's really, really important. At the same time, equally so, we go with the truth that the Word of God is powerful and is able to change us. And even though we could not possibly comment on, well, I couldn't anyway, on 30 verses, I read it out because it is the Word of God. And it's good for us to hear it and to read it ourselves. So let's be cake and eat it people. You know, I want God to fill me with His Spirit and so it's full of supernatural power and strength. And at the same time, I'm full of the Word of God so that the power and the strength that I have is rooted in the Scripture. I know who I am. God knows who He says I am. And I know who He says He is. And because I know all of that, I'm powerful in God. So it's all of it, and it's all possible for us as his people. So a few things, I suppose, make me more excited than this idea about being word and spirit, because it's so key for us as God's people. And any of us, even if we think, well, our knowledge of Scripture is very limited, whatever our knowledge is, it can grow. You may be a person who says, well, I know the word of God quite well, or maybe I don't, but my experience of God is very limited. Well, even if it's very limited, it can grow. So say to God, let's do this. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Father God, we just come to you today very aware that um, in actuality we have limitations in our lives. And it may be limitations of experience of you, or it might be limitations of your word. So wherever we're at, whether it's one of those or both of them, Father, we come to you with our inexperience or lack of knowledge, and we ask you that you take us where we are today, 8th of March, 2020, and help us to grow in our experience of you in everyday life and our knowledge of the Word of God. That today would be 
um, a benchmark. Yeah. <laughs> I just had this idea of, of, you know, when your children are little, they, you, as they grow, you put little marks on the wall. And they look back in years to come, oh, I was that small. I was that, but look at how tall I am now. It's not a case of you comparing yourself to anybody else, but it's simply a case of you saying, have I grown in God? And God wants us to increase in our experience, but he also wants us to increase in our understanding of the word of God. Uh, both are possible. So God, will you take us where we're at today? And if we feel ever so inadequate, Lord, may you prove to be the adequacy we need. God has called us for such a time as this to be beacons of light in a dark world. Beacons of hope, actually, particularly hope today, in a hopeless society. That's who we are in God. So if you feel you are nothing, just, just understand that that idea comes from the enemy. Don't partner with that. You are not nothing. You are something. You were bought at a great price. Jesus gave his life for you. He went to the cross at Calvary. He allowed those that he made to, to take his life. He gave his life, but he was killed. He did that because he loved you so much. You are not nothing. You are not nothing. You are dearly loved. And God wants you to take the truth of that. If that's all you've got, start there. And build on that foundation a greater experience of the Spirit and a greater understanding of the Word of God and see what God will do. He wants you to worship in spirit and truth. And Father, I pray that you take us individually and as a church and any visitors who are here today, that we take the truth of this and we apply it to our lives so we can go onwards and upwards to all that we have in Christ Jesus. I want to thank you for that woman at the well all those years ago who opened up her life to Jesus because she was needy. And really, Father God, we're no different. We're just as needy. And we open ourselves up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we say, have your way in each of our lives for the honor and glory of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We have finished the service because time has gone and um, some people need to get away for this memorial service this afternoon. If anything that we looked at today or anything else is something you'd like prayer for, um, just grab someone and get them to pray with you. Commit it to the Lord. And if someone prays and asks for prayer and they say, Look, I'm a little bit apprehensive, um, don't look down on them for that. They're just being honest. It's good to be honest with each other. This is a safe place to see God get his glory in all of our lives.